Girl, you fine. I'm just trying to keep up with you. Gorgeous is the word I should use. Oh, thank you. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Welcome back to the Morally and Intellectually Ingenuous, Sometimes Disingenuous podcast, where we talk about morally and intellectually ingenuous, sometimes disingenuous things. Today, I have my dear friend, Tori, one of the sweetest women I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. Hey, girl. Hey. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, making me blush. Um, Yes, no, Tori uh, has 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 one of the most phenomenal comeback stories that I've seen. You know, it's one thing when someone tells you their story, but it's another thing when you actually see it in person. And uh, I met Tori 2017, I believe. We were neighbors at one point, uh, way before she moved into that giant mansion she's sitting in right now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there I go. Let me hold a dollar. I know you, I know you got it. I ain't got no money. <laughs> I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, uh, Tori, I've known her for some time, man. And, you know, we know each other's story. And uh, I wanted to have her on uh, today, you know, finishing out the rest of March, Women's History Month, with stories from phenomenal women. And uh, so Tori has agreed to sit down and talk more about her story dealing with, uh, well, you know, just some bullet points um, with her weight loss journey, um, her health and fitness journey, um, you know, the death of her father and how that molded her life. You know, these are all things I make made sure that uh, she was cool with talking about. And I know vaguely, um, you know, about, well, some stuff I know about other stuff that I don't. So, you know, that's why we're on today talking about uh, her story and, um, you know, ways, things that we can both relate on. Yeah, man. So how's everything, man? I know the last time we talked, um, you had made phenomenal progress with your uh, surgery that you had last year. Mm-hmm. Coming up on, yeah, it'll be a year, April 28th. Okay. So, you know, I'm not an expert. You were explaining to me how this surgery works and what exactly type of surgery did you get? It's called a gastric bypass. So basically they create like a small pouch in your stomach and that pouch connects directly to the small intestine. In layman's terms, it changes the way that your body processes food. Ah, okay. All right. So how's the journey been with that, man? I know you were talking to me. You were talking to me about it. And if you remember my face, I looked at you like, what? It's been an adventure. Um, You know, I kind of told you the reasons why I wanted to do it. But even going into it, I don't think I had a clue of how major a decision it was. It's changed a lot of areas of my life. But I would say all for the better. My whole life has changed Um, physically, emotionally, mentally. My relationship with food, my health has improved. I would say the biggest thing is my relationship with food has changed. My Mm. lifelong unhealthy relationship with food. I think um, growing up, I had two wonderful parents and they were single parents. So I don't, I can't necessarily say health was forced down my throat. Um, 
when it came to what I ate, they were single parents, they worked hard. They kind of made sure that I ate dinner, but it wasn't necessarily the healthiest thing. Um, So growing up, those behaviors continued and never really learning how to take care of my health or the importance of it. I just ate whatever was around. Um, Mm. Getting to college, you know, same thing, all nighters, eating whatever's there or whatever I could afford being broke. Before I knew it, my freshman 15 turned into my four year 40. Um, And I was having health issues of people twice my age and I knew something had to change. Yeah. You had the freshman 15. I had the COVID 100. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, really? This ain't about me right now, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll we'll get to that a little later. Um, nah, man. Nah, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, being raised in a household where like, damn, parents didn't have you want for nothing. But at the same time, like, you know, your eating habits are like not really the best. And it's kind of mm-hmm. just like a learned behavior. It is, you know, so but you had said um, and I know you said this in the past, but you was asked you to speak more on it. You had said like that your health was worse than people twice your age. Mm-hmm. I remember being I think I was fresh out of college, I want to say. And I had like hip issues, like just woke up and was limping. And it was just because I was carrying so much weight. I was pre-diabetic. I had super wow. high cholesterol. And I developed the worst sleep apnea on the planet. And I didn't realize that the my weight had something to do with it. I just thought my sleep issues were just something I had always had and that I would always battle. Um, but I found out later that that wasn't the case. So I think people don't realize like how much, not only weight, but just stress, because I, I used to be a stress eater, how it really affects your body. And how being overweight and a lot of health issues that people don't necessarily talk about kind of can be silent killers. Yeah, man. Um, I'm I'm right there. You know, it's it's and black men are very bad with that. <laughs> we don't deal with hospitals and doctors. So mm-hmm. we'll like just chalk it up to something else. Whole chest will be hurting and you'll say stuff like, oh, I was driving behind a truck with some fumes today. So I, that's it. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, the 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 stress eating and and the I didn't know you were pre-diabetic though. Mm-hmm. And I found that out surprisingly. I went to the dermatologist maybe about two years ago for eczema, and she just happened to be examining me, and she looked at the back of my neck, and she noticed like a darkness behind my neck, and she was like, "It's not dirt." She said, "Have you ever wondered what that is?" I said, "No," and she said, "It's a marker that shows that you're." pre-diabetic she said it's kind of like a she said if you were to get your weight under control she said eventually that marker would fade away Mm. and I was like wow I had no clue never knew that yeah um right now I'm currently taking my personal training certification classes and that's awesome yeah man come a long way um and I remember that was one of the things they talked about you know it's a lot of signs like Mm -hmm. you have like lung cancer like a lot of older smokers you look at their fingernails, they'll be curved instead mm-hmm. of growing straight. You know, you have that thing on the back of your neck. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Stuff like that. So my story, which you already know, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I had my my situation that made me go, okay, I need to change. Like, mm-hmm. we, we all, we both know that we had bad eating habits and mm-hmm. bad sedentary lifestyles. 
But what was your, I guess you could say, like that defining moment where you were like, oh, shit, I need to do something? Well, quite frankly, after kind of an up and down yo-yo over the course of maybe five years, I almost lost my foot. And I had, and I never knew like being overweight and eczema had a correlation, but apparently they do. And um, I all of a sudden got a really bad like eczema flare up, I guess, on my foot that eventually almost caused me to lose it. Um, I had to go to three different hospitals. So I went to the dermatologist um, and already being overweight, they kind of, they didn't really tell me that that's what it was, but she prescribed an antibiotic that happened to be a steroid, which made me gain even more weight. Um, But I also ended up being allergic to it. Mm. And so that medicine ended up covering my body in a rash. I looked like I had the plague and um, my foot literally turned purple. Um, It kind of burned me from the inside out. So I had to go back to another dermatologist um, who basically had to perform several tests on me. And she told me, you know, this is just a really bad allergic reaction to an antibiotic, but it's also your eczema. She said, but what caused all of that, she said, is your severe weight gain. She said, so you really got to do something different. She said, because this could happen again. She said, or this may never happen again. She said, but you decrease your chances of this happening again if you get your weight under control. She said, it's what you're eating. It's what you're putting in your body. She said, that's causing this. And we had a conversation about what I was eating and everything that makes eczema worse was in my daily diet. A lot of dairy, a lot of fried food, um, a lot of starches, empty calories, candy, cakes, sweets. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a gummy bear man myself. Love those two. <laughs> but see, I didn't know when to put them down. That, that yeah, was my problem. Yeah, yeah. It was bad, man. I remember I would um, get like the jumbo bag and <laughs> I would like go to, like, I would get in bed and I would put out like a napkin and just lay them out next to my pillow and just eat them throughout the night. I can't say that I haven't done that. Yeah, I dog. Rough. And don't nights. let me have a stressful work day. Yeah. It's, 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 it's giving all that. It's snacks in bed. When I wake up, it's ice cream at 10 in the morning. Yeah. I had the yeah. worst eating habits on the planet. So that was that was a defining moment with no as a matter of fact, you know, I think I remember we were both on the verge of starting our journeys at the same time. I remember I was at your house. Mm-hmm. And that massive kitchen you got with the nice ass <laughs> ovens. Um, I remember where you were telling me that you had got on these steroids mm-hmm. for your eczema. That because that was right after I messed my hand up, mm. and I think I had just got my cast off, and I was over there telling you about it. And I think we both kind of was just like, yeah, you know, we trying to get back in the gym, man, yeah, whatever, you know. I think I do remember that now. So that was a defining moment for you then, like you mm-hmm. know, what the what your doctor was saying. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that and then just going for a physical after that ordeal and the doctor kind of just being blunt with me saying, you know, Tori, you've gone up and down and wait. Like, what is it? Why are you not able to maintain it? He said, at the rate you're going, you're not going to see 30. And that was hard to hear because, you know, when we're young, we think we're invincible. We think that we can eat whatever, do whatever. And things were quickly manifesting when it came to me and my health history of my family didn't help. Both of my parents have had cancer. 
Mm. So it was it was a reality check that I had to do something different. So that was a so what was the next steps? Like, you know, you got the surgery and because I remember you had got it. And then mm-hmm. there's a, that picture that's hanging up in your living room, you would say, that's the size I want to be again. Well, I had to. I thought about all of the other things I had tried. I had gone to a nutritionist for years at a time. I had gone to a diet clinic and they had prescribed you medic- medication that had worse side effects than to me, the benefits. I had tried going to the gym and it just didn't work for me, whether it was my lifestyle or I had tried everything. So I talked to my best friend about it um, and she was telling me her mother had kind of struggled with the same thing, what her mother elected to do. She said my mother had kind of gone through what you had gone through and she had kind of been up and down and she just wanted to do something that would be permanent. So she got a gastric bypass and she gave me the information for the surgeon and she said, do your research. She said, it's no joke. She said, but if you're at kind of the end of your road, it's worth considering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. I did my research and I gave it a lot of thought. And I met with the surgeon and I was pleased with his office and he answered all of my questions. And although I was kind of uncertain because surgery is surgery, I figured I what did I have to lose other than to continue this unhealthy cycle? And each time that I gained weight, I gained more than the time before. Um, So I felt like it was just time to break the cycle. So with breaking the cycle, it's always going to come negative people. All the time. Whenever you make the decision to want better for yourself, whether you want a better paying job or a better, a healthy lifestyle, a nicer car, whatever, there's always going to be a group of people that try to stop you, try to talk you out of it. I remember you were telling me that I think it was a person you were saying at the time it was their mom he was saying that he didn't want you to lose weight because other guys would start like noticing you. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's so funny. It's kind of shocking to still just think about that because when you envision a partner, you envision someone that number one, wants you to be your best you, whatever that is and supports you in anything that kind of does that. Um, but in that case, that, that wasn't what he did for me. Um, he was against it. He felt like, it was more so he was concerned of how me losing weight would affect him versus the benefits of what it would do for me. Um, and that kind of forced me to realize that if you're going to go forward with a decision as major as this, you have to do it for the right reasons and you have to do it for you. You can't do it for other people. You can't try to please everybody because everybody's going to have a different opinion. But at the end of the day, it's your life, your health, your body, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, man. I remember you told me that because he was a fairly bigger guy himself. Mm-hmm. From what I remember when we're talking about health, a health thing, like, mm-hmm. you know, and you're trying to be healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's like that. I think I don't know if I told you, but that one time, um, actually, I know I didn't tell you this because I don't I didn't really tell a lot of people this, but <laughs> uh, somebody I was seeing um, we're hanging out with at the time. I noticed that every time we were hanging out now, this is after I started working out, you know, after I hit, I think like 375 days of consistency, you know, it was, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in the journey in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, diet has completely changed. Mindset has completely changed. Sleeping habits have completely changed. You know, I think I had a chocolate chip cooking and damn near passed out one time Mm -hmm. because I would, my body just wasn't used to it anymore. Um, 
So it was around that time. So it was this person I was getting to know. And they, every time we hung out, I noticed that, you know, we were always eating at these shitty places. And when I say shitty, like, I mean, the food is bomb. We talking Five Guys, Carolina Kitchen, uh, Smokehouse, all dope places, but all types of places that you can't eat all the time and that I used to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, people at the Amish market knew me by name. Wow. You know what I mean? At one point, you know, I come up in that joint and I get this one joint called a haystack. <laughs> wow. And it's just a bunch of eggs and meat and potatoes <laughs> and just a bunch of bullshit. The Amish lady come up to me, goes, hello, Spencer. I'll be like, damn. <laughs> you know, so I've graduated from that. And so like this person I was getting to know, like I noticed that every time we hung out, like I said, we we were eating at horrible places. So, you know, kind of drifting off, like staying on topic, but off topic, you know, like the show ain't about dating, but like sometimes we'll throw little things in there, you know? So I kind of made a comment. I said, Hey man, you know, next time we hang out, can we go to like a, like a Kava or like a Meza, fuck Mm -hmm. man, Subway, whatever, like, you know, and now this is a person who I had expressed, you know, my past struggles to, mm-hmm. you know, about um, weight loss. And I'm pretty sure the guy you were telling me about, like, these are th- things that you told him in confidence. Mm-hmm. And so I even told her the story of the roller coaster. I don't mm-hmm. know if I told you that, but one day I went with my ex-girlfriend. We went to King's Dominion and I sat in a roller coaster and couldn't fit. And everybody started laughing. Uh, that was tough. That was tough. I even told her that, you know, how it made me feel and this, that, and the third. So, you know, she goes, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. That's cool. We can do that. Blah, 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 blah. So we were supposed to hang out one weekend and it was bad weather. So she was like, yeah, just, just come through the crib. It's like, I bet. So, you know, I, I walk in the, I walk in her place and I smell Lido's. Mm-hmm. notice i ain't say i ain't, i smell pizza i said i smell Lido's. <laughs> like <laughs> i can smell that shit from a mile away i used to eat that they knew me by name in there too shit <laughs> you know what i mean like i i got smell Lido's. you know what i mean and i was like what the hell Lido's in this mouth so like i was <laughs> walking around and i saw she had Lido's. she had chips and gummy bears and all this other soda and all this other stuff now the reason i'm having an issue with it because i'm like damn all right, i'm gonna know this person you gotta start thinking about the future and not just today you know what i mean so i said hey man like yo what's up bro like i i thought we had had a conversation about this and she was like oh that man you be all right mm. yeah mm. this is no longer about the food anymore correct this is about boundaries. Yeah. This is about using an opportunity to weaponize things that I've told you in confidence. Mm-hmm. I told you all this and you're like, oh, you be all right. Imagine you going through the worst shit in your life and someone throws it back in your face and you say something. Huh? Been there. Oh, I know you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, oh, well, you be all right. You know, now this was a person who you could tell genetically she had good genes. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that, you know, so people who haven't been in my shoes or your shoes, they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So for the guy to say, oh, Tori, I don't want you to lose weight because other guys will notice you. 
that is a very hard abstraction to digest. It is. And he kind of just dismissed the whole reason why I wanted to lose weight. It wasn't about aesthetics. It wasn't about how I looked. I started to feel bad and I wanted to feel better. So just curious, like what happened after you got it with him? Like, did he, I mean, when I say it, I mean the surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, life is funny. He actually wasn't really around afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of went our separate ways due to him not supporting me. Um, when my dad passed away, um, and I made the decision that we just needed to go our separate ways. So he wasn't really around. Yeah. So I can't really say how he would have felt had he seen me or been around me or seen the changes that I've made in my life. I I would assume that it would have probably become an issue because the things that he eats, I don't eat anymore. Yeah. Right. And that's the kind of where I was getting at. It's like, damn, dog. Like, you know, now y'all are on two different separate paths because now Absolutely. it's. Yeah. Yeah. But damn, man, this all happened. I'm trying. I'm. I'm getting my. I'm getting my. My dates mixed up. This all happened around the time where your father died. So I had kind of been on the journey and kind of had been given some thought to making this change. Um, after the, I would say the issue with my eczema and my foot. Um, and as soon as I kind of got over the hump with my foot, my dad got sick. Um, so of course life stopped, everything stopped, and my number one priority was being there for him. Um, my mother had breast cancer. So when my diagnose, my dad was diagnosed with uh, stage three lung cancer, I was kind of optimistic, but I had in my mind, you know, I'm going to help him fight it. He's going to get through it. Like my dad was Superman to me. Um, He always has been. And in my eyes, he was invincible. Yeah, I never had the pleasure of, uh, I, I met your mom. Yes. Let's see where you get your sweetness from. Oh, oh thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but no, I never had the pleasure of meeting your father. He was he was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was that was my role dog. That was my best friend. That was the guy that taught me discipline and um what I mean my dad what passed when I was 28. Everything you can probably learn from someone in 28 years, I learned from him. Mm-hmm. Um I was a daddy's girl, so cars, sports, I'd sit right next to him watching the Super Bowl and I learned how to change a tire from him and even, you know, as I got older, just lessons about men and how men really are. And, you know, <laughs> the soul of my heartbreak. Uh, yeah. But my dad always made sure that I was I was tough and that I could stand on my own. And, you know, there was nothing wrong with the femininity that I, you know, carried as a woman. But he said, but don't be, quite frankly, don't be no punk. You know, mm. don't let anybody punk you. And, you know, I miss him dearly, but. The strength that I watched him exhibit time and time and time again in my life, when he got sick, I felt like it was my turn. So, you know, the surgery was on my mind and it was something I wanted to pursue. Everything stopped um, when things happened with him. And um, I kind of just, I'm not going to say threw away everything, but my top priority was being his caretaker. Um, And then things just kind of happened fast from there. Um, Unfortunately, the cancer seemed to progress faster than we could keep up with. And so even getting to the point where we could get him treatment, he would go to the appointments and he wasn't well enough to receive it. So of course, if you're not treating something, it's still progressing. Then, you know, we had gotten some, some news 
um, that he wasn't going to make it and still optimistic about it. You know, we kind of just prepared for something that you can't really prepare for. When I think about that entire experience, like I reflect back on conversations we had before I even knew he was sick. And um, me and him had conversations about me finding my voice. Um, I think by nature, I'm a wallflower. Uh, I like kind of being in the background. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a reluctant leader. You know what I mean? I, I don't like the spotlight, but um, my dad always remembers me being this fearless, just unapologetic, outgoing girl. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, going through school and going through things as a teenager, life kind of, you know, sometimes will push you in a shell. And he used to always have this conversation with me all the time. And he'd lecture me about it, um, about finding my voice. When everything happened with him, I ended up having to be the point person, his his advocate. Um, Things progressed to the point where he couldn't really focus or speak for himself. Um, So I had to speak for him. I had to find his doctors. I I took him to appointments. I spoke on his behalf at appointments. Um, I had to keep track of all of that, which was crazy. But even in the moments where I wanted to be a wallflower, I couldn't. That was my dad. Failure wasn't an option and and being quiet, you know, when I had to speak wasn't an option. And, um, you know, I did. And even getting news that when a doctor tells you that the person, you know, that is your Superman is not going to live much longer. I don't think there's anything that prepares you for that. Having to get that news, but he didn't know. So keeping it from him or deciding, you know, whether or not to tell him and then having to relay that to the family that's rooting for him, that was a heavy burden. Yeah. So I didn't really get a chance to think about how I felt about it because I had to be strong for him. So how I felt or what I processed that information as came secondary. I remember you had told me that it was like watching Superman crumble. Yes. And yeah. it's something you never envision yourself doing. Just a perfect example of who my dad was. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the snowstorm that the DMV area had? That the highway was shut down and people were stuck on the highway for six hours. Well, I was one of those people. And I had my mother and I had just left my dad's house and we were headed back home. And we got caught on the beltway between exit four and exit seven. We were at a standstill. The snow, of course, fell faster than I guess the roads could be treated. Um, And so with all of those other thousands of people, we were stuck on the highway at a standstill for six hours. Mm. Um, we didn't have much gas so we had to turn the car off and then kind of get out and see if any cars had moved and nobody moved and I remember I was telling my dad what was going on and he got in his car and he went the back way somehow and came back on the other side of the highway to bring me food and so I got out of the car walked across the median to meet him and he made sure that I had food and that I had what I needed and that was just Wow. Like one example of my dad just being, like I said, Superman to me. He always has been. So I say all that to say you don't ever envision watching someone that you feel like is larger than life crumble. Or you don't think you you look at them as invincible. The cancer kind of progressed and he changed. And, you know, it. I hate to use the word, but I won't sugarcoat it. It kind of devoured him. That's something you can't prepare for. So from what I'm hearing, you found your voice mm-hmm. from the man who told you to find your voice because you had to find your voice for him and you. Mm-hmm. And it was um, 
of all experiences to make that happen, that was the one that made it happen. You know, I'm sure he would have loved to see me find my voice. And I think in a lot of ways he did, um, even in the midst of everything that was going on. But, you know, I wish we could have the conversations now to be like, look, dad, I found my voice. You know what I mean? And life is just, it's crazy. And I think more than that, we always think that we kind of, to a degree, like we know ourselves, we know how strong we are. And, you know, going through something like that, I think you realize you're stronger than you think you are. Um, I had always kind of talked with my friends about, or just, you know, in conversation with people about, man, you know, I'm so close to my parents that if something happened to them, they can just take me too. That's kind of always the attitude I had. I felt like if that, if I were to lose one of them, and, and we all know that that is a part of life, I wouldn't be able to function. But in that moment, I, I did. I would have never guessed that I would have been able to be his anchor and, and and care for him. And in the moment where I wanted to crumble too, it wasn't an option for me. Being there for him was first and then processing how I felt about it came second. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I have no problem admitting that, you know, I don't know what that's like. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Nah, you know, I, I don't, you know, so I can only listen to you and, you know, understand and, and hear what you're saying. But to me, it is amazing that you found your voice through the death of the man that told you to find your voice. Mm -hmm. Life That's, is something. Yes, it's very poetic, man. And the faith that I believe in and the faith that I practice, I know for a fact he knows you found your voice. And, you know, um, I think it's just great from the outside in, look from the outside looking in that you found solace and meaning in your mm -hmm. father's transition. And, you know, I, I have moments still, um, but I'm like you, I, I don't believe in coincidences. Mm. And um, one thing I know my dad would want me to do is to keep living. Right. Um, don't just stop. My dad wasn't someone who wanted you to stand over his grave and be sad. My dad is was one for life celebration and, and moving forward. Um, one of the things he used to always say was, this ain't no rehearsal. And, you know, by no means was my dad perfect. He made mistakes, he bumped his head, and he'd be the first one to tell you. Um, but he owned it. He owned who he was, um, good or bad. And I think that's one of the things I respect the most about him. And even when I think about the impact that he left on me, when you look at the fact that my surgery date was his birthday. So what better way to make a transition to move forward and to continue living and to make a change that, you know, improve my health, which is what he wanted for me. But even through that ordeal, like, I think when someone, when we lose someone, it makes you reflect on a lot. And it makes you realize that, you know, life is not just about what we have or what we wear, it's it's about the legacy that you leave behind. Um, and I think when my dad passed, I saw how many lives he touched mm -hmm. and how many people he meant the world to. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've always seen him as dad, but I got to see him in the light of, of as a friend and as a brother and just how much he was cherished. And I think that was beautiful. Um, and even through that ordeal, finding a strength that I didn't even know was there um, and 
finding my voice and most importantly, being unapologetically me, you know, as different, as offbeat, as corny, as nerdy, whatever, being okay with that and owning who I am. You touched on a good point. Legacy, character. Um, My father Mm -hmm. always says that when I check up out of here on my grave marker, it's going to be my birth year, my death year. What matters is the dash that's in between. Absolutely. I don't think that's a concept a lot of people can understand, me included at one point. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I work part, in addition to being on radio, I work, you know, at Arlington Cemetery. And, you know, I my job is to tell people about the legacies that these, you know, fallen service members um, have left. Mm-hmm. Amazing stories. And, you know, I'm driving, we're driving around the cemetery. I'm like, yeah, your driver's side, that, 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 your passenger side, that, that, that. that's this, that's that, that's general such and such. That's the first black this, the first, oh, don't let white people be on there. <laughs> the first African-American, the only African-American. Like, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. They come to my for tour. the people in the back. Yeah, come to my tour. You won't get a black tour, man. You know. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, that is Benjamin O. Davis Sr., the first African-American general. That's Benjamin O. Davis Jr., the first African-American general of the Air Force, first African-American graduate of West Point Academy, commander of the Tuskegee Airmen. All right now. Yeah, I can go on. Um, but that's my point. You know, I tell the history about all of these people mm-hmm. never do we drive around and i'm like yeah that's lieutenant colonel such and such he had all these women and he drove this car i had all these followers yeah i had all the oh god you know i had mean? all these followers <laughs> this that and the third and it you know it hits home mm-hmm. you know I mean that this is these people have done amazing things it's like what your father has mm-hmm. you know and no matter how amazing what things we do in this world we're all going to end up in the same place mm-hmm. you know I, I i you know me i don't do well with people that don't have humility or have a very strong sense of entitlement mm-hmm. um i was raised by parents who have done amazing things for other people and they have always wanted to re- remain anonymous Hmm. and they have done these things because it was out of the graces of their heart, not because they had to. So I come across somebody who feels like somebody owes them something. Hmm. I don't do well with that at all. Um, because the reality of the situation, nobody owe you shit. Thanks. People do things for you because they love you, because they want you, and it sounds like your father embodied and mastered that concept mm-hmm. you know the way you talk about them hell i mean you the, the way you've talked about him since i've known you you mm-hmm. know when he was still you know in here in physical form so you know you really hit home when you touched on that legacy part because that at the end of the day you know that's all that matters and so, i think your children sometimes like are part of your legacy. I I haven't really realized how much I'm like my dad. One of the most beautiful legacies I think people can leave is their children. Right. I look, I never realized how much my siblings and I are like my dad until he passed. Like I have a brother, um, my dad's youngest son, who is, it's like looking at my dad all over again. He looks like my dad. He acts like my dad. It's crazy. 
Yeah. Um, and he's an incredible husband, incredible father, and an incredible brother. Um, and then even myself, like my dad was a man of many talents. So he was, you know, a photographer by trade, but he also played instruments. He sang. And I have a brother that sings. I play instruments. Like it's so cool to see just parts of who you are live on. Um, and I think that's beautiful. So with your father's transition, it also sounds like you've learned the importance of self-love. Mm-hmm. When you go through something that's life-changing, it makes you reevaluate a lot of things. Um, for me, most importantly, what I wanted my life to be and how I lived my life. Um, and I think oftentimes, I'll say for myself, I'm a person that's often my toughest critic. Um, but I think I've learned that you have to be your biggest cheerleader too. Um, and that's so important. And self-love looks different. It's not just in relationship to love and, and romanticism. It's about how you take care of you. And I think self-love can mean different things. I think for me, I had to stop being so hard on myself. Um, I had to give myself grace and allow myself to make mistakes and not beat myself up when I did. Even in that experience, I had to learn how to set boundaries with family, with friends, you know, because in a moment like that, I just had to preserve myself. You know what I mean? But even after that, just you can't always be everything to everybody. You can't pour from an empty cup. Like, that's so true. When I had Amber on here, she talked about that and uh, how, you know, black women are too often pressured to save the world mm-hmm. when in fact you don't it's not mm-hmm. your job and that's something that i can wholeheartedly agree with self-love is very important man um you know i, I think me and you've like we've learned it around this we've had the same type of with the exception of your father's transition like mm-hmm. you know with the weight loss and the health and the mm-hmm. trans you know stuff like that like you know self-love self-love is very important and You know, it's a lot of things we do to sabotage ourselves that we don't even know we're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my therapist has said that, for example, you know, somebody says something bad about your family or your mom and you go, oh, you can say what you want about me, but Mm -hmm. don't say nothing about my mom. Mm -hmm. Nah, motherfucker, you can't say nothing about me either. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, you ain't about to say that about me. You can't say that about my people. You know, and it's like you have to protect yourself. You do. You know. Why is it that we we always protect ourselves second? Like we don't ever go as hard for ourselves that we do. Man. People we love. Look, I and you've heard me say this several times. Mm -hmm. I have finally learned what peace and happiness feels like. Priceless. It is taking a very long time to get here. And you got to protect it at all costs yes so if anybody threatens that you know what i mean i'm you know i'm not a disrespectful you know colossal prick but at the same time i can be if need be Mm -hmm. you know and if someone you know tries to threaten that and all the work that try to undo all the work that i've done or that you've done Mm -hmm. you know to um hell especially you you know, with, with your father's death and, 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 you know, your, the remnants of the surgery that you had to deal with, you know, as that's, that's not an easy path, It's not. Know? but you did it, Yeah. you know, but you're doing it, 
Um, you know, so who the hell somebody think they ought to come up in here and sabotage that? You know, um, I listened to this motivational speaker. He's like a bodybuilder, too, but he's mm. hilarious. And his name is C.T. Fletcher. Mm. And he has this funny, like this bit about pain when he talks about pain. And <laughs> so he imagined the rock and Samuel Jackson in the same person. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean, that's what this guy is. And he has this like this this bit about pain. And like when I'm in the gym. Sometimes I don't even be listening to music. I'll be listening to like his his audio. Mm. And he was like, pain, fuck pain. I've been kicking your ass for 30 something years. I'll be goddamn this today that you're going to beat my ass. <laughs> like, That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know? And I love that because it's like, nah, you're not going to win. You know mm. what I mean? You not. I'm not going to let nobody come to my doorstep. I'm not going to let nobody come in my house acting stupid. You know what I mean? The only top, the only BS I take off anything that has a heartbeat is my dog. And that's because he's my dog. He can get away with it. But like, you know, anything else other than that. So but it's like that you found yourself love through your father's passing. Well, it's one of the ways you found it. Mm-hmm. And you know, through so- the weight loss journey. I think people kind of underestimate the mental transformation that you go through when you decide to kind of do what we did surgery or not to go through a major weight loss. It's a journey. It takes time. And you have to kind of, I think part of self-love is embracing the journey, knowing that it's not going to happen overnight, that they're going to people be people that don't support you and remembering why you're doing what you're doing. Even when you got outside voices telling you the opposite, you know, I had to, um, Somebody asked me a question the other day and they said, well, you know, why are you still afraid to post pictures? Mm. And I said, well, you got to understand where I've been the last seven, eight years. You know what I mean? Mm. As far as like just being, being, you know, just not happy with yourself, not loving yourself, being insecure about your size. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I sure do. You know, it sucks. And so I had to explain to them the deeper reason you know about a lot of things and this is somebody who's never struggled at least as far as i know with obesity or health issues or weight Mm -hmm. issues or physical insecurities and i had to tell them that okay yeah the weight is coming off but the mental strain that Mm -hmm. you know that takes a long time to go away and i tell them that also you know, kind of like going back to a dating thing. And it's not really, it's not really like this anymore, but it's how it used to be where I was terrified to go out with someone because now they have to see the real me. Mm. You know what I mean? This is of course weighed like 70 pounds ago, um, but they have to see the real me. And I was so used to going out with somebody and, you know, everything seemed cool being cool and then i get a text message oh you seem like a cool guy but that wasn't the issue but the issue was is now the self-esteem that it took to build up to go out in the first place is broken knock back down i've been there now to go out again i gotta build that all the way back up. yes and it takes time <laughs> it takes time so it's like don't get it twisted yeah i'll be in the gym you know what I'm saying? Looking right in clothes, but the the mental insecurities are still there. Absolutely. I think that 
honestly is the hardest part. Right. I remember like being same thing, similar situations, kind of getting your guts to go out and having for me, having men say, Yeah, you cute for a big girl, or yeah, you bigger than what I normally date, but you all right. Like people don't think about what comes out of their mouth when they say it. And when you somebody that already has insecurities, it just magnifies it. It's so insane how, you know, when people say these things, when you're saying it, it's, it's terrible. It's a horrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. But what gets me is you don't think you're wilding right now? You, hey, bro, you know I can hear you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, they'll this, look you dead in your face and say this. And say this. Yeah, and like, don't care how it lands, what yeah. it does. Yeah. There is so much power in words that people right. don't realize. I had a girl one time. She said, man, your titty's bigger than mine. No, she didn't. <laughs> I swear to Bob, she said that bush. <laughs> <sighs> and it's like, what do you say to that? Nothing. <laughs> it's like, damn, like, yo, you're a terrible person. Like, you, yeah. really, you really suck. Like, you know. So real quick, like, <laughs> I'm just curious because you have made, I know you've told me that, you know, a lot of people have had some shit to say about your transformation. Hell, I'm here to say I think it's an amazing thing. Thank you. I think you look great. But I am what does beg the question when you said, like, okay, what what did they say? You're cute for a big girl. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess that, like, you know, you've lost, what, 90 pounds almost? Almost. Damn. Almost. About 87. I need to take some notes. Has there like in been anything like negative because you've lost the weight and but in that same regard? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's when we talk about not only developing a tough skin, but doing whatever you choose to have surgery, not have surgery, or just when you make a decision that is life changing, making sure that you're doing it for you and no one else, not for acceptance, not for mm-hmm. uh, vanity, not for to please other people because people are always going to have something to say. And I remember um, I I wasn't anywhere near as small as I am now, but I had a discussion um, with someone I was dating at the time. And I had just told him, I think at the time that I had lost 60 pounds and I didn't really go into detail and I didn't really say the time span at which I had done it. Um, But what was unfortunate was he had just mentioned that he had lost weight Um, that he had gained during COVID and he didn't lose as much as I did. So I think, unfortunately, there was some envy there, but I had mentioned, um, like I said, that I had lost 60 pounds and he kind of, he kind of just made like this weird face. He just kind of looked and he kind of started hinting around to, well, do you eat? Are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm fine. (laughs) And then he kind of had a roundabout conversation about, you know, his mother losing weight and she didn't like how small she had gotten and she felt like she looked sick. And I kind of got the subliminals of what he was trying to say. And um, he'd asked me, you know, why well, are you going to gain some of your weight back? And I said, that that's not my intention. You know, I'm nor is it none, nor is it none of your business. Correct. People, oh, yeah. People have no filter, uh, no filter. And um, he said, well, what exactly did you do? And so I told him. I said, I I had a a gastric bypass surgery a few months ago, and, you know, this is the process, and this is what's happening. He said, oh, okay. He said, because I thought you were, like, I was thinking the worst. I said, the worst, like what? He said, I mean, I thought you were 
like dying of AIDS or something. What? And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. How do we get there? Like how? Oh, wait, hold on. Bring people it People lose back. weight and aren't dying. Like how, how do we get there? Bring it back. Flag on the play. Clipping <laughs> foul. Back court. Wait, what? I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then. I thought you had eight. And I said, so you were still going to date me? And he said, well, I thought the reason might come out eventually. I was, I was just going to wait and see. Sometimes people just don't know what to say. <laughs> and if you don't have a thick skin when you go through a transformation like you and I are going through and have gone through, some things can land a little funny sometimes. I just, you, you know, I, laugh at all. I can conceptualize a lot of things. <laughs> I can't. You've known me for a while. Like I can try to make sense around a lot of things. I remember one time Tori like asked me why the black people vote for Trump, and I, you know, broke that down. And she's, oh, okay. That right there, I ain't got nothing. It ain't nothing. Good to say. You know, I guess what bothers me with that, other than the obvious, because it's just completely contemptuous, but. It's negating the fact of, damn, maybe this person wanted to be healthier. It's like the person, right? The, the Earlier when I said I walked in and I smelled Lido's, not pizza, but Lido's. I had explained to them, you know, look, man, this food almost killed me. This, that, and the third, blah, 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 blah. I can't do this. And, and she said, and I quote, <laughs> I guess you want one of them skinny bitches then, end quote. Hmm. I said, excuse me? So with the guy that said the AIDS thing to you mm-hmm. or the woman who said the thing she said to me about skinny women, that lets me know how vast majority of people put size and nutrition and health in the same bucket. Mm-hmm. Lizzo is a vegan. Lizzo works out. Lizzo is healthy, but she doesn't fit the societal norms and standards of what quote unquote beauty may be mm-hmm. you doing all the work that you've done. Oh, you look sick, but am I sick? Right. That's the question. Or am I, and am I in the best health that I've ever been in? It that ever been, but you know, care. but right. it's, okay. it's your journey. It's not for people to understand. Yeah, man. It, oh gosh, we can we can go on all day about like negative people, and I think at the at the seasoned age of young seasoned age of where we're at, we already know when it, whenever you do something, you know, there's always gonna be like naysayers or all whatever. Always, um, I know when I play like used to play like my voiceover commercials, people used to be like, "Oh, that ain't you," wow. until like you know I did it in person. You know, and I'm sitting here saying, yeah, my name is Spencer Bryant Bryant versus, yes, my name is Spencer Bryant. Like, you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, shit, that is you. Why can't it? Why can't you just let somebody have the success that they, you know what I mean? What the, the, Let them enjoy the, the, the fruits of their labor. I don't know, man. I think the most profound thing that I got out of this conversation, man, is how seeing your journey, knowing not just weight loss, but just journey into because we met like 2017 i was what 26 you were 24 and you are sitting in your own crib yeah that you bought you know what i mean on your own 
<laughs> you know, driving that nice Ferrari you got on go. your own. It's not a Ferrari. Don't believe the hype. Maserati. Oh, um, no, it's not a Maserati. <laughs> yes. There's nothing that wake makes me more weak in the knees than a black woman who be on her shit. Well, thanks. Yes, ma'am. Yes, thanks. ma'am. Like only because like I've seen your journey, you know. True. And you know the behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah, There's man. The work that went into it. Yeah, yeah. And it's very profound. But as far as this conversation, you know, how you found your voice, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, through the death of the man who always said you need to find your voice mm-hmm. and you found it. So, you know, I'm definitely grateful for you being on here. Um, I'm definitely hoping that your story can help one person. Um, I hope so too. I think I know it will. I know it will, because I have had several conversations with people who, who do listen to this podcast who are contemplating, you know, gastric bypass surgery. And, you know, they said, well, it's not, I don't want people to make fun of me because that's the quote unquote easy. I said, first of all, like what you said, don't do it for other people. Absolutely. I mean, I had to tell myself that. Yeah. Um, Real quick. I had a girl tell me this, which was really deep. Um, somebody who I'm like currently helping, like, you know, with their health and nutrition or whatever. And so I'd asked them, what is your biggest challenge that you think you will have to face? And she said that I'm afraid to lose weight because once I lose weight and people start showing me attention, it only makes the implication that I was never able to be properly loved because of my weight. That's, I can relate to that. Has some heavy shit. That, but it shows you more about other people than it does you. Yeah. I said, God damn, I shit. I just always about to talk about calories. You know, I <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, I that's, didn't that's hard too. When you see people around you treat you different and you're the same person, the only thing that has changed is your exterior. Sometimes it's a harsh pill to swallow because you yeah. wonder what did those people value in you before? Right. Everybody, a lot of people want to be seen with what looks good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of people want to be, it's validate. A lot of people are seeking self-validation. They have no idea. Me being one of them at one point. Mm, I've been there. I think, yeah, we both, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, hell yeah. You know. I think so, if people are honest, I think we've all been there. But because we've been there, it takes one to know one. So when we see somebody doing it, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, all right, you, you, you on that still? But all right, you'll grow out of it hopefully one day, right? You know, so, so Tori, my dear, it was such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, I think you spoke on a lot of things, and you know, I always say the purpose of this podcast is to let people know that you're not the only one going through what you're going through. Mm-hmm. there's 7 billion people out here <laughs> good chance that you're going through the same shit somebody else is going through it's just helps a little bit more when you know you're not the only one mm-hmm. uh, but when we hear somebody going through the same thing and this is how they got through it hell well, let me try that 
seems a little more achievable. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Well, my dear, I definitely thank you for being on, folks. This has been another glorious uh, production of the Morally and Intellectually Ingenuous, sometimes disingenuous podcast, where we talk about morally and intellectually ingenuous, sometimes disingenuous things. I have another person coming up uh, next week. I'm not going to put their name out there yet because they asked me to not say it. But it's still for Women's History Month. So she will be on talking about her weight loss transformation and how, you know, she um, conquered, you know, or came over obstacles and uh, overcoming adversity. And, you know, she has an amazing story. I actually worked out with her once and I started seeing stars. Um, I thought I was on my shit to you with somebody else and then they humble the fuck out you. Uh, speaking of which, LA Fitness here in me and Tori come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely got to get it in. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening in. Um, again, this has been another production of the Morley and Intellectually Ingenuous, sometimes disingenuous podcast. All right, everybody. Until next time, peace and love always.